It's time for JT the Brick. How are we doing? Baby, I'm great. JT, how are you doing? What do we want to talk about with the Raiders? So I want to see an interception. I want to see some sacks. Raiders come with four. Here comes the fifth rusher. And he's sacked. Deshaun Bauer had him around the waist. And the Raiders defense holds on fourth down. And then your boy JT got it right. JT the Brick. Always, always great to be with the Brick. I don't spend a lot of time on teams that don't make the playoffs. We talk about what matters in championships and winning here. It's Big Boy Radio. That is the best atmosphere in a preseason game that I've ever been a part of. And that's easy to say that, clearly. Get your ass out here and get ready. Here we go. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you as we host the aftermath. Coming off the Raiders' loss yesterday at home. To the Indianapolis Colts after the post-game show last night. I am all set to go, ready to go, and ready to hear from you inside the Raider Nation today about your opinions of what happened yesterday if you went to the game, what you think of the team going forward, and why the team continues to struggle as the Raiders drop to 2-7 and seven on this year and really having one of the more difficult seasons I've ever seen since I've been with the Raiders, and maybe you've been a Raider fan There's been highs and lows, but there's been some consistent gut punches here over the last three weeks to a month that has really hurt and demoralized a lot of fans in the Raider Nation. Many who I've talked to in person yesterday got a chance to see at the tailgate, got a chance to talk to throughout the game, and we'll look to carry that momentum into the show today. We're brought to you by our good friends at Golden Entertainment. They own PTs, Sean Patrick, Sierra Gold, the SG Bar, the 64 Total Taverns there where you can go watch the hottest team in all hockey, the Vegas Golden Knights. Go watch college football, Monday night football tonight. PTs fuels the monologue. So these Monday shows are becoming more and more difficult to put together with Bobby and I because we don't know if we want to come out and play the sound bites. We want to play the coach reaction. We kind of get into a feel of it. And what we like to do on Monday is we like to park. We have Mark Anderson on today the great journalist from the AP, and also Harry Ruiz, the Latino voice of the Silver and Black, who called the game. But Mondays and Tuesdays are basically for the phones and the fans and everybody who wants to get in and talk about what the hell's going on. As Vince Lombardi said, what the hell's going on out there? And yesterday was a really tough game because we talked about all week what could happen in the ultimate disaster scenario that the Raiders lose to the Colts as the Colts were getting a lot of media attention because of the hiring of Jeff Saturday. Really, that was a national story on top of us covering a local story. And we had to kind of fuel it and fuse it together here and find out what could happen. But I think everybody who listened to the show last week, everybody who called in, everybody who I talked to at the game, had a feeling that the Raiders could lose this game. Because as I said this year, everything that could possibly go wrong in every scenario has gone wrong. Just everything. It just gets worse every game. And you sit there and you talk about execution, the buy-in, the play calling, the mistakes, all of that, and you just bundle it all together. And then you talk about it for a few days, and then I'm proud of the way we run our show. We have our insiders. We try to stay positive, and we build for the next game. And that's what we're going to do the rest of the year. That's all I can do, man. we got a lot of shows left. A lot of shows, and I'm not going to sit here every day and just bash this team and say they're not good. I work for the team. I want them to win every game. There's a lot of people I know, including myself, that are vested in the success of this team, and they're just not playing well. And it's another game, 0-6 in one-score games, 0-6, and they had the opportunity to win yesterday. But the key to yesterday was 
If they were able to win the game, there were two really big points in the game where they should have won the game, the game would have been over. Butler falling on a fumble instead of trying to scoop and score, which is really what we've talked about all year long is about the IQ of this defense just not being smart enough and not being good enough. You know, eventually you get an interception, you get a lot of hustle. You get a lot of hustle, late hustle as I call it, not early hustle in the play, late hustle in the play, but that was just the play of the game because you can win the game on a defensive turnover, which would kind of get everything going because the defense deserves such bad press overall. If they could win the game on falling down on a fumble and hold on, and I think they would have held on easily and won the game, uh, they come back Indian score on the next play, again showing that the team and the concept of their defense, the scheme, lack of IQ from most of the players, and overall ability – you know, cannot cannot recover when something bad happens. And then the Foster Moreau drop to win the game, the drop and the deflection there, you know, that's a recurring problem with this team is just having people other than Devontae who can make plays in the passing game. Foster's a really good player and had an early touchdown in that game. But if he held on to that ball that was thrown perfectly, perfectly by Derek Carr to win the game, I think it would have been a great way to put a lot of deodorizer all over the game because the Raiders did not deserve to win that game yesterday, which is probably the most important point of the broadcast today. They, they weren't the better team, and that's alarming to me. It's alarming that they were better than Jacksonville and New Orleans, and they lost the games, but this game under no circumstance should they have lost. Under any circumstance, you do not lose this game. And the reason why the Colts won this game was because Jeff Saturday, after everything was chaotic the week before, and he was even getting criticized by a lot of people in the NFL, including former players and even teammates of his, he had the wherewithal to go to the owner and say that he was going to go with Matt Ryan. So I'm hosting the pregame show with Eric Allen at the Torch, and we weren't aware of this. You know, we were all thinking all week long that Sam Ellinger was going to play. But thankfully, I nailed it last week and continued to bring up that I thought Matt Ryan would play. Just the same way I thought Jameis Winston was going to play in New Orleans, But the only reason why Jameis didn't play in that game was because it was never in doubt. The Raiders never got the ball past the 50-yard line, so they didn't have to bring Jameis in because they weren't trailing. And I thought what was going to happen, Dennis Allen was going to start Andy Dalton, the Raiders would get a lead, then they go to Jameis. Well, to go with Matt Ryan in this game won the game. And I talked to some gamblers who got their bet in because they got some word and they sniffed it out that he was going to be able to play. And as soon as Matt Ryan played, they bet the Colts on the money line and they bet the Colts on the over. They bet the over of the game because they knew Matt Ryan would do a better job scoring points than Sam Ellinger, and he was the difference in the game. Now, Matt Ryan is no longer an elite quarterback, but he had the longest run of his career, the absolute longest run in his career with the game on the line, proving that if he sees an opening, he could run. Most guys can do that, even 45-year-old Tom Brady can run the ball and run the ball from time to time with the game on the line. The Raiders do not have a running quarterback. They don't have a quarterback that's going to run and run at a point in the game unless it's just way out there and it's a throwout statistic. Matt Ryan was the better player yesterday, and he outplayed Derek Carr. Derek put up numbers again after a very slow start where the Raiders got shut out in the first quarter and really did nothing. And that was surprising, too, because in all these games where they had the lead, And they had the lead in this game, right, in the fourth quarter. They had another lead, and they had the opportunity to win the game. Win the game with the ball. 
with under a minute to play in the game, which is important because they're in the game. They're in the game. They're fighting. They're trying desperately to win the game, but they just don't execute. And if you can't execute, if you're going to drop a touchdown, if you're not going to fall on a fumble, if you're not going to tackle, there are a couple of plays there. If you watch Jonathan Taylor as I went back and watched the game, guys didn't want to tackle. They wanted to punch the ball out. Guys didn't uh, pursue the ball. They were, you know, they were kind of lazy to the ball. Once they got beat over the middle of the field, they didn't just turn around and run and try to help out their teammates. That's a problem here. So a lot of things went bad, but the Raiders could have stole the game at home. And last year they would have done that. Last year they would have done it because they just, for whatever reason, they were the team last year that was winning these walk-off games. I mean, we can't even get uh, you know Daniel Carlson to kick field goals anymore. We can't, I tell you, he needs 12 points a game. He needs three extra points, and he needs three field goals. We can't even get him in field goal range, and he's not even giving the Raiders the advantage they need because they can't help him out to even settle for some field goals and get this thing going. So everything has really been stumbling as of late. But the big takeaway for me yesterday as I, I didn't think the Raiders deserved to win that game. So when they lost at the end, I wasn't shocked. I was really pissed off. I was really hemorrhaging steam, and I was so upset as I did that walk again from the press box to the Modelo Cantina Club to host the postgame show. And I was just walking there with my uh, backpack and my iPad going, I cannot believe, I cannot believe that this game is in doubt. I cannot believe that this game isn't in the can, isn't over yet, and the Raiders still need a miracle to win this game. And then they get the ball back, and they have an opportunity to win, and then in crushing fashion, they lose the game on a third and fourth down incompletion. But I thought that was bad until the press conferences came. And now we have a problem going forward because being around the team and interviewing a couple of people, especially the coach, who's been very good to me, very timely with me, and we talked about his plan and what's happening here. Now there's some comments coming from the quarterback and Devontae in the locker room that clearly shows that they're not happy and clearly shows that they're not going to particularly point out any of the teammates that you're not happy with. And, man, that's a problem. Here's why. If you don't tell us what the problem is, then everybody's going to assume that they know the answer, and 98% of us don't know the answer. I think I got an idea of a couple of guys who should play through some injuries. I think you have a couple of ideas of some guys that you think maybe aren't perfect fits under this regime, but when you bring in doubt in anything in life, in any workplace environment where you let doubt creep in, doubt continues to fester. That's where gossip begins. That's where people start talking out their ass and making stuff up. And it has to be stopped. It has to be stopped, especially in a professional environment where people get paid millions of dollars from an owner to keep things in house and not to kind of give doubt and let the fans boil over. And that's where we're at today. Because everybody today is sitting around going, what does Devontae mean? Who is Derek? Why is Derek on the verge of tears? The head coach today answers every question, and we'll get to that. And basically it was one of those, well, you can ask them if they have a problem. And, you know, who's in charge? Who's in charge of letting us know what's the problem with a couple of players, and are those players that are a problem, are they fracturing the team from within? Because when the team loses, now they're starting to point fingers. Not directly, but indirectly they're pointing fingers because that's just natural. If you're playing your ass off like Derek Carr and Devontae, 
and you're the first guys in and the last guys to leave, and you have all the buy-in. I mean, Derek's totally bought in. For everybody who's mocking him with memes and did he cry or not, I mean, that is a... That is a leader there. He's almost breaking down because he's so sick of losing and he wants to win so badly. And Devontae is here to win. He's not here to put up numbers. He's going to put up numbers. He already has. He wants to win. Max Crosby on defense is one of the best players in the league. And he plays all out on every play. And then there's just a lot of other guys who aren't good enough and they won't be on this team this year. But today is the first time this year, the first time I have mentioned this, the first that now the locker room has to stay together. The season is 2-7. and seven. We all know what that means. But now the locker room has to stay together because there's a lot of football games left. And the players who are in charge, the captains who are in charge, have to do a good job of rooting out the players that they don't believe are going to help the team going forward and then find the guys that they think can fight through this. If the Raiders want to go young with personnel and they want to play younger players, that's not going to do much. It really isn't going to do much. Because a lot of these guys, other than Thayer Mumford and Dylan Parham and the younger players, maybe one or two, are probably not good enough to be stars in this league, and this team needs stars. This team needs stars if they're going to beat Kansas City and the Chargers over the next 10 years, no matter who the quarterback is. No matter who the head coach is, they got to build a roster of players who can play at a Pro Bowl level, and they don't have much of that right now. So there's some finger pointing coming up that is light here. Uh, you got a lot of members of the media who are dying to know, dying to get inside the head of this quarterback and Devontae a little bit more. And everybody's going to do their job and try to figure this out. But, wow, that was a really tough game yesterday. I didn't go into the game very confident. I thought the Raiders would win. But when you see so much losing football and you see the way they lose games, no one's very confident that you're going to even win, let alone against a coach who's never coached before. I did tell you that Jeff Saturday would have him ready to play. I nailed that. They went out to a 10-0 lead. They were more ready to play. I think the Raiders were ready to play, but the, the penalties, they start off the game, they get booed off the field. They get booed off the field because they're going backwards. You know, second and what, 25 or 30? I have it in my notes here. I mean, it's almost impossible to do that in the NFL. It doesn't happen in high school. And it's happening with this team where they're going backwards on offensive, offensive possessions False starts and mistakes where they're putting the team backwards. Got a pretty good quarterback. That shouldn't happen. You got a really good, accomplished play caller. I mean, you're nuts if you don't think that. He's got six Super Bowl rings calling plays. So at a minimum, he could call the plays and the quarterback, and they shouldn't have mistakes, pre-snap mistakes at all. That's what they should be really buttoned up on. And then my really big hot button, which I saved for the last here, which is, again, I'm not at a point where I'm going to stop talking about it, man, but it's really defeating me. It's really defeating me on the lack of ownership on the clock. The lack of ownership on the clock is mind-blowing to me. I've been, you might not think I'm the greatest radio host or this or that. I've been watching football for 45 years, and I've seen the greatest of the greatest to ever play, and I have relationships with the greatest and the greatest to ever play. I did with Ken Stabler. I do with Joe Montana. I do with Jim Brown, Fred Bolitnikoff, all the people you know who I know who I've had on my show throughout my career. And I've never seen a team. Well, I'm going to say never. Let me take that back. It's rare to see a team that clearly plays with no sense of urgency during a football game with the clock. Either the plays when they come in, there's some type of confusion on what to run. The pre-snap is obvious. There's mistakes all the time. 
the clock, the play clock. When I sit with people, I just say to people, I go, don't look at the game clock. Look at the play clock. And the play clock always gets under 10 seconds, always gets under 10 seconds, which is an advantage typically to the defense because they know that the defense breaks the huddle and they know they have to guard Devontae. They know Waller and Renfro aren't there. They might be stopping the run against Josh Jacobs. But the play comes in and they get to the line of scrimmage and there's a level of confusion when the play is called. Now, how many times have I shared with you and I've told you on this show, just run the plays in Henderson. Just run the plays in Henderson, even the plays during the walkthrough where they're playing against air. And I think that's another really big problem with this team. And it's the fault of every team in this league. They don't get to practice. They don't get to practice physically. They don't get to practice with real guys touching each other and knocking each other down. There's no physicality in the league anymore during the week. So when the Raiders come and practice these plays in the walkthroughs or whatever they're doing, they get to the game and those plays, hear me out, are much more difficult to run against opponents who are playing their ass off. They don't have that level in practice. Again, the offense is going against much inferior players on defense. I mean, this defensive roster is not very good. So when they're running the plays in practice, they're running these plays against players who aren't very good at the level of the players that they're playing against and a full pass rush, which is really the elephant in the room is Derek under stress here if he's not going to run, and I mean never run, then everybody else in the linebackers are just going to hold their ground because the quarterback's not going to run. So all of this is just my analysis of what's not coming together. But I think today, unfortunately, we have to talk about the voices within the organization who are trying to get here and try to figure out what's going on. Because Derek opened up a door yesterday that was very uncomfortable. You know, I like Derek Carr a lot. I covered his whole career. And Derek yesterday was broken to the point where he was there basically telling everyone on a global level, the Raiders are global, that, man, this losing has just buckled him. He was buckled yesterday. And Devontae, I think, is looking around the organization going, who's in and who's not in? you gotta be, you got to be in at the level of myself, Max Crosby, and Derek Carr. So until I hear otherwise... What I guess I'm going to do, as long as I have the opportunity to do this, is talk about the guys who are in and try to figure out the guys who are out. Right? Isn't that what we should be doing? Two and seven team. Who's in? Who's going to try to make it better? Who's going to try to turn it around? Who's going to be obvious about it? And then weeding out the players that they're thinking about and they're not telling us about who those players are, trying to figure out who they are, and then uh, move on from them. And then see the way that Dave Ziegler can build this roster as I have a lot of confidence in Dave, the confidence I have in Josh McDaniels in preparation and what he's come with and his knowledge is still there just like he's come here, but the execution on Sunday or game day isn't there. And I think the execution is they're playing tight, they're playing under duress, they're playing under a lot of pressure, and they just don't have enough good players on this team because of the former regime and the former regime before that. Everybody wants to get rid of the players that came before their regime. That's football. You know, the reason why a new coach gets hired is there's usually a decision about getting rid of the staff before that. Well, the staff before that was led by Rich Basaccia, and they were grinders, and they executed a lot better than this team. They did, and maybe a couple of the games, they did it with smoke and mirrors, and everybody looked around and said, this isn't sustainable. Hint, hint. This isn't sustainable long-term with what we have with the players, and we want to get an upgrade in the coaching staff. 
And the upgrade in the coaching staff and what they're trying to do hasn't resulted in wins. And it's not because they're not trying, man. These are all one-score games. Throw out New Orleans, and every game this year comes down. Six games, 0-6 in one-score games, and having the leads in five of them shows that the team is in it. They're fighting really hard. They're doing, most of them are doing the best that they can possibly do, but it just isn't enough. And when you like players and you like coaches, you understand that. And I understand that. I like the coaches. I do. Why wouldn't I like the coaches, right? They're the the bosses. I meet them. They're good to me. I'm good to them. They came from somewhere else. I don't hate the coach. I don't hate the players. I'm just running a fast-paced radio show. A lot of fans don't like the coach and don't like the players. So I have to navigate my show through that. And I'm more than capable of doing it. More than capable of anyone ever in a Raider platform of getting through this because I have good experience with it. And no one wants this thing to turn around as much as me because I want you, the fans, to enjoy it more. And uh, there was a point yesterday where I was with my wife and Cisco, the president of the Black Hole, and we're, at, we're watching John Fogarty. And everybody's pissed off. But I'm like, let's enjoy this. You know, freaking John Fogarty. Guy's unbelievable. He's knocking it out of the park. I, I'm not going to sit here and throw my Modelo to the ground and be upset. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm here with my wife. I got friends in from out of town. We at least want to have a good time for 10 minutes. And it's always a good time at a Raider game because the, the game is pretty big. It's bright. The flyover. Wanted to open up the show thanking everybody. Salute to service. I can't tell you how many members of the military I had an opportunity to shake hands with. I mean, just coming into the concourse, into suites. Raiders came into one of the suites I was in with the, uh, with the alumni visit with a bunch of men and women who served. The gentleman, one of the pilots in the flyover, was at the torch during Fogarty. Got a chance to meet him. So that was positive. Napoleon McCallum gave him a big hug. One of the greatest players in college football history. I never, ever, ever, ever seen Napoleon McCallum without a smile and trying to lift everybody up. So that was good. You know, and even when I was walking to my car home in the pitch black afterwards, my buddy Tom from the Raider Image saw me and said, JT, get in the truck. I'll give you a ride to your car. So I know a lot of positives yesterday. But the game, again, was another gut punch. And I feel for the Raider fans. I feel for the coaches. I feel for the players. I really like to see this thing get turned around. And uh, they deserved to lose yesterday. They were not the better team. They were not the better team. The Indianapolis Colts played better than the Raiders. The Raiders could have stole a victory out of the jaws of defeat in their own ballpark, and they came real close. They came real close, but the bad luck, just not catching breaks, a drop here or there, not falling on a fumble, that's how you lose football games. He led off the postgame show. He leads off Monday. As usual, here's Chris in West Oakland. Oh man, I tell you, JT, it's getting rougher and rougher every week. And I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna belabor the whole thing about the game yesterday as much. It's been done to death. Other than, you know, I don't. It's not a bad break when you drop a ball that hits you in the in the eight and the seven in the end zone with 30 seconds left. That's not a bad break. That's just not making a play. When you fail to fall on a fumble when the closest defender is eight yards away from you, then you lazily try to get up. That's not a bad break. That's just stupidity. Um, again, it's just one thing after another, but I want to talk real quick. I'm not going to, and I'm not going to bash McDaniels like everybody else is doing. Although I do have some questions and I'm going to get into the Derek Carr thing. The one thing I want to say about McDaniels and the, the announcers say it over and over, and you constantly talk about the play clock winding down. 
Why don't they ever go no huddle? I'm not saying you have to go hurry up, but the announcers called the Raiders lethargic yesterday. They come out, they break the huddle. The reason the play clock's always down to under five seconds is because they don't break the huddle till there's 15 seconds, which means they're having trouble getting the play in. It shouldn't be that way nine games into the season. And say what you want about Derek Carr. He's not perfect, but what he's always been really good at is running the game from the line of scrimmage and making quick decisions. If you're a head coach, why are you not letting your quarterback do what he does best? One thing Derek's never had a problem, JT, until this year, taking the team down the field to at least get into field goal range. Things have changed now all of a sudden this year. We're running a different offense, different coach, different play caller. I'm not here to sling arrows at Josh McDaniels, but something's definitely changed. You shouldn't have added Devontae Adams to an offense that was in the top ten a year ago and gotten worse. So uh, that's enough about the game. We can do it to death. Now it's a matter of can they keep this team together and not just completely go in the tank because the season's pretty much shot. But when it comes to the rest of the stuff, that the, yesterday the press conference with Derek Carr, I think what you saw, JT, is a guy that after eight and a half years is finally broke, finally tired of banging his head against the wall over and over and over again. Listen, Derek's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Josh Allen. He's not Tom Brady. But he's not Carson Wentz either. I've said he's very similar to Matthew Stafford. People said he put up numbers on a bad team. The Raiders, Derek Carr hasn't failed the Raiders. The Raiders have failed Derek Carr. Eight, four times in his eight years they finished top ten in offense, yet they could never even put a top 25 defense around him. I think he's frustrated beyond belief. He gets the blame for everything. The Raiders could lose, lose 52-49, to 49, and Carr would get the blame for it. So I think what you saw was a guy yesterday that nine years of frustration is finally boiled up. And I've always said this, JT, I've been a Carr guy. I understand why people might want to move on from Carr. I don't know why Derek Carr at this point doesn't want to move on from the Raiders. And one last thing about the coaching, and I'm going to ask you a question for me as a fan. The last three Raider head coaches to lead this team to the playoffs have all been shown the door within a year. Gruden was traded after the 2001 season because Al Davis wouldn't give an extension. Jack Del Rio, after 2017, injury-riddled season where card play with a broken back was shown the door. Now Rich Passaccia writes the ship last year and isn't given another year. And it's not like they've knocked it out of the park with the next choice. So, again... All the respect in the world for what Mark Davis has done with this franchise, getting the stadium done, getting him in Vegas. But I'm asking you as respectfully as I can, JT, because I know they're your friends and I know you're in the building. Give me one reason why I should believe that they're going to get it right. Josh McDaniels, I don't care that he's won six six t- titles as a coordinator. That's like giving Butch Harvin the green jacket when Tiger Woods wins the Masters. The bottom line is he was very bad in Denver. It started off horrible in here, and in his one season as an offensive coordinator in St. Louis without Tom Brady, they averaged 12 points a game. So again, why should I put blind loyalty in faith that they're going to get it right when every single time the last 25 years they've gotten it wrong? Because I'm tired of this crap. I'm tired of my Sundays being ruined, and I'm tired of wasting my money and time and sweat and tears about caring about this team sometimes more than the freaking players do every damn year. Thank you, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, the coaching decisions over the past, Mark Davis was looking to bring John Gruden back for a long, long time as Coach Gruden was a broadcaster, and he finally had the opportunity to do that as the season was going south for Jack Del Rio. That's a real simple one to ask. Rich Passaccia did a tremendous job last year. All I've said is great things about Coach Passaccia. But Mark Davis wanted to go in a different direction and have 
a new style of offense with the players that he had with someone that he vetted out tremendously and thinks that's part of the plan going forward. And again, Coach McDaniels has to win games, no matter how much confidence Mark Davis has in him, no matter how good of a guy I can continue to tell you, you don't know him, I do, how good of a guy he is. That doesn't work if you don't win games. According to Ed Graney today, Las Vegas Review Journal, Raiders owner Mark Davis on Monday gave first-year head coach Josh McDaniels a resounding vote of confidence despite the team's 2-7 and seven start. Quote, as far as Josh goes, I have no issues. I'm getting to know him a lot better. When you sign someone to a contract, don't you expect him to fulfill the contract? McDaniels is in the first year of a four-year contract. Quote, I like Josh. I think he's doing a fantastic job. That's why I hired him. We did an exhaustive search and found the person we believe is going to bring the Raiders to greatness. Davis said the Raiders are in the early stages of building something. Quote, life isn't static, it's fluid. You want to win at the end of the year and be, one of the, and be the one holding the trophy. Obviously, we're not there yet. I know it's frustrating for the fan base. I feel for them. I'm a fan as well. Asked specifically if he believes McDaniels is the long-term answer at head coach, Davis replied, why wouldn't I? That's from Ed Graney from the Las Vegas Review Journal. We've told you all year long that the owner believes in him, and they believe that the foundation is being set to go forward. Problem is, if you lose all your games on a final possession or leads, you blow leads, it's hard to see. It's hard to see through all that smoke. And that's what's happening now. And we're going to fight through it. We're going to do our job. We're going to let the fans voice their opinions. We're going to talk to our insiders. And later this week, prepare the Raiders on the radio for Denver. Just an incredible win. I, I told the guys just to, at all three phases uh, was just just an incredible team effort. These guys have been through it. I told the staff, coaches, the players, just the fortitude they presented and and uh, the way they played today. They, they laid it all out there today, and I just could not be more appreciative of those guys. Welcome back. That's Jeff Saturday, head coach of Indy. He's undefeated. He won the game. We knew he could. We knew he'd have them ready to play. They were ready to play. They took a 10-0 lead. So they came here. They traveled here. They were highly motivated, ready to play. I thought he won the game, won the game by starting Matt Ryan. If he didn't start Matt Ryan, no chance in hell. They, they, they keep that to a 10-score, 10 10-point 10 game. No chance. Uh, Raiders would have been able to score and, and get off the field with Sam Ellinger. They weren't able to get off the field a lot. With Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan's a future Hall of Famer. He's got already well beyond the stats to get into the Hall of Fame. Plus, he played in the Super Bowl, and he's got an MVP. So he has all of that. He's a good guy. He's never gotten in trouble. He's a good guy. He's going to the Hall of Fame. Rivers, Eli, and him are going to the Hall of Fame. You saw a Hall of Famer play yesterday at Allegiant Stadium, and he ran his ass off with the game on the line. He had a run. That was incredible, and that will go on to his Hall of Fame induction clip because he did it to win a game with a team that wasn't supposed to win a game. In regards to the Raiders' defense, the Raiders' defense has tremendous problems. They can't stop anyone over the middle of the field. We've talked about that at nauseum. I just don't think they're smart enough to have a scheme in place that's more exotic, and they don't have the players. And you're starting to hear that in rumblings of that. They're going to put players out there now. They're going to mix and match players who's ever healthy. 
Denzel Perryman couldn't go. Divine Diablo couldn't go. Nate Hobbs is on IR. If you look at all the players that aren't available for the Raiders, it's significant. But with the players who are missing from Indy, too, all these teams are suffering injuries at this point in time. You got to now wonder, you have to wonder now at the end of the year who's going to want to play for the Raiders who are not at 100% because that door has been cracked open. Not by me. I wouldn't crack that door open. I've told you, when a player, when I see the list before the game, inactives, and a player who is injured or has been injured isn't available to play, you won't hear a peep out of me unless players are talking about it. (laughs) If players start talking about it, you'll hear it from me. If players start talking about guys not having the will with all that they do to get out there and compete and to fight through what the other players are, then we got a bit of an issue. And could that be surfacing? I don't know. I, I just think that there's been a couple of comments made recently about the buy-in. And the buy-in has been pretty strong under Josh McDaniels, from the owner all the way down to the players, Max Crosby, Devontae Adams, Derek Carr. I mean, Derek Carr talked about love. I love Josh McDaniels, all the success he's had. He wants to win for him, And they're finding ways to lose. And why are they losing games? They're losing games because of execution. Executing in crunch time under pressure is not the strength of this team. And I think that's what Dave Ziegler wants to do and improve on this team going forward is find the players that they had in New England. Everybody says Tom Brady. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry that they work with Tom Brady. I can't do anything about it for you. For everybody who bitches and moans, well, they had Tom Brady. Yeah, they did. They had Tom Brady, and other great teams have had great players. Okay, coaches have go. Steve Kerr has Steph Curry, everybody. I apologize for that. He doesn't have a G League team. He has Steph, Clay, Draymond, and a bench that might be the best I've ever seen. That happens. Phil Jackson. Well, was Phil Jackson a great coach? He never coached a bad. Oh, sorry. What do you, you want Phil Jackson to give up Shaq and Kobe? You want to give up Jordan and Pippen and Rodman? No, great coaches have great players. Josh McDaniels doesn't have a great roster yet. They weren't going to build off the roster they had from the former regime. But I think that some of the players that they've signed, who are going to supposed to be here, who might not be here even though they got signed, or other players that they drafted and are going to try to see them play, and the other players like Jonathan Abram, Clee Farrell, other players that they inherited won't be here, and they'll add in their guys. They'll add in their guys like uh, they wanted to do, and... That, that process will be all on them. It's all on them. They're, they're accountable guys, win or lose. But this roster is really bizarre to me. When you got guys playing corner and inside corner in a game that's on the line, and I, I, I have a pad and pen when I rewatched the game on Sunday night, Monday, I saw cornerbacks, including Rocky Sin, give guys a nine-yard cushion. I wanted to make sure, so I went back and stood up and walked to my TV and counted the actual yards of an eight to nine yard cushion in a crunch time. I'm like, what, what is this? You can't cover them, most of them to begin with. Get your hands on them. Do something. And the, the defense is so bleeping soft with the style and the players that they have over the middle of the field. That hasn't changed at all. That's arguably getting worse. So that also has to be fixed. NorCal Raider. Thanks for calling in. Or Nick, excuse me, Nick in Santa Cruz. Nick, you're up next. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Hey, JT, I want to say I'm thankful for you because you are the best at what you do, and unfortunately our team isn't. Uh, and what you said about enjoying your life, I'm going to really try and do that because uh, your last caller, I feel like he feels. It ruins, it ruins my weekend. Um, but, I, you know, handling success, JT, just give me a little moment here. I'm mm-hmm. a history teacher. Sure. Marcus Allen, 
what he did in Tampa against the Redskins and then what Al Davis did to just bastardize him for 10 years, put us back. He was a phenomenal player. He doesn't sign Gruden to a real extension after 2001, which he deserved. Didn't give Turner enough time, and look what he did with the Chargers. Tom Cable went 8-8 eight and eight and won an arrowhead in the last game. Didn't give him an extension. Basaccia is a leader of men. And you talk about what this new regime says of executing under pressure. We did that last year. We won in all of those examples. And we don't retain those people. Personnel. I'm watching the Viking game yesterday. What a game. We could have got Justin Jefferson. We got someone that's incarcerated now in rugs. We got mm-hmm. Leatherwood instead of that offensive lineman for the Vikings that's stout. Consequences occur when you make horrible decisions. And look, I know you talk about the plan and everything, but here's the facts. We now have a large sample size. This is nine games. McDaniels offense yesterday, you script the first 10 to 21 plays. They were three and out three times in a row. He's supposed to be a guru. They have second and two last week against Jacksonville. They don't run the ball. They have first down with only 16 yards to go, and they don't do a slam pattern to Devontae Adams, who is unguardable. So here, here, here's my solution. I don't want them to lose, and if they win four or five games, you give McDaniels another year. But if they go 3-14, and 14, which their trajectory is for, have you listened to Sean Payton talk on the herd? The guy is brilliant. You cut bait while you can, do something good, and you either bring back Basaccia or you do whatever you need to bring in Sean Payton. Please tell me if I'm wrong, JP. Please. Well, Please, I, I, I'm looking for answers. Yeah, again, with the coaching staff and Mark Davis's decision long-term, he believes that he has to coach the other coaches underneath him, some of them, some of them. I wouldn't say all of them. I wouldn't know. I'm not privy to that. And the GM that if they have time, they've only had nine games to do all this, if they could, they could get their plan in place and it would be better. The plan wasn't to lose and go 0-6 in six one-possession games. If they're 3-3 three and three in those, if they're 3-3 three and three in those games, they have five wins. Fact, not fiction. So they're starting, they're in games, they have the ball to win games, they have leads, they blow leads, and when they're blowing leads, they still have a chance to win the games late. So all of this bad luck, bad execution, we will admit bad coaching, bad quarterback play in crunch time, all of that goes into this big giant stew, and we look back at the end of the year to decide if they're going to keep whoever they're going to keep, the coach, the quarterback, the tight end the slot receiver, the linebackers, and what they're going to do. I don't have that answer, and I'm always honest with you. Never not been honest with you. When I'm honest with you and I tell you what I think is going to happen, I'm not here guaranteeing it's going to happen. But Vinny Bonsignor, Ed Graney, myself, other insiders who have access to the owner and or the coaches feel confident that they think they have something. They're just getting bludgeoned and losing these games they shouldn't win, and it's a combination of bad luck and bad execution. It doesn't matter. I don't care about bad luck and bad execution. I care about talking about a win on a Monday or a loss. And there's been a lot of bad Mondays here this year where they've had a chance to win. So could they make a coaching change? Anything is possible. But everyone that we've reported and the insiders that we put on, we put on real insiders who have real resumes and credibility and all the ones I talk to for a reason who come on with me I ask them about all these issues, and they believe that the coach is safe and that the quarterback is okay for now, Devontae is good, but what they're all starting to write about is that there's chirping in the locker room from two players. 
who are really frustrated, and that's Devontae and Carr. As I as a individual worked at the Modelo Cantina Club yesterday, looked at me, came up to me. He goes, hey, JT, he goes, if Moreau catches that, how's your postgame show? I go, what do you mean? And he was like me. He goes, man, we didn't play good enough. We didn't deserve to win that game. And I looked at him. I said, I don't care. Catch the ball. We win the game. I don't care how you win, how bad you look. You got outplayed. Win the game. And that could have been a game that could have quieted the noise down. I opened up the pregame show with Eric Allen at the torch, and I said, the goal of today is to quiet the noise. Quiet the noise because Jeff Saturday's in town looking for a win, and that won't go over well. And Jeff Saturday was in town looking for a win, and he got a win, and it hasn't gone over well. Hardcore Raiders in Colorado on the Raider flagship. Hello, what's happening? Hey, JT. Um, yeah, I want to talk about leadership. You know, um, you know, I'm an Army combat vet. Um, I also dedicated 10 years of my life to management, and then now I'm a small business owner. Um, the, the, you have a major culture shock in, in a leadership realm when you go from a passive-aggressive leader like Jack Del Rio to then an extremely aggressive leader like John Gruden and then back to a passive-aggressive leader like Josh McDaniels. When you have a coach like that that comes on our team and he's telling players you need to learn, to, you need to learn how to not lose and if he's only pointing out the faults and not the good things the team is doing, there's a problem there. A lot of managers, a lot of leaders will go into a program and they'll just sit back and they'll like just kind of look at things from afar. So they're going to let people hang themselves. They're going to see who's going to step up and who's not. Right. And if you know McDaniel saying he's not going to be flipping over tables and stuff, well, that's what Gruden would have done. He got the team fired up. And if Carr doesn't take that leadership role or someone take that leadership role to be like maybe more of an aggressive leader and to get these guys – lined up where they need to be. And I don't mean formations. I'm talking about like, um, you know, fire it up. Like somebody's got to be that guy. Um, and, and, you know, I love Derek Carr. Um, you know, I, I want him to be the guy. But if we're stuck with McDaniels long term and he's going to be a passive aggressive leader and Derek Carr isn't going to be that guy, I mean, you know, the writing's on the wall. And I think Carr feels that. And it sucks because, mm-hmm. like, you know, I think Carr could have success, but the, the reality is we were told this was, was not a rebuild. We're in full rebuild mode, whether we want to admit it or not. And it's, it's devastating because uh, there should be more fire from this coach, even if he's going to be passive-aggressive. And there should be uh, higher accountability more than just, you know, kill people by silence. Because I, I believe that leaders like that set people up for failure. And if, if we have some of that where he's setting people up for failure, that's not a good thing. And we got to think. He's brought in guys that are not proven. Defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, I know McDaniels is calling the plays, but he essentially did what Bilicek did with the Browns and brought in a lot of guys from the offensive line coach mm-hmm. all around the team where guys aren't proven. Where, like, you know, the Rams coach, uh, Sean McVay, he brought in Wade Phillips, who was a mastermind defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. and he let uh, Wade Phillips tackle the defense, and Sean McVay focused on the offense. So this coach has bought off way more than he can chew. And if he's so focused on the long-term plan, uh, he's hurting the short-term growth. It could work, but uh, it's going to be bloody, and it's it's terrible. So I appreciate you, JT. Yeah, thank you. Work. Yeah, thank you. Look again, it's it's not it's bloody with the record. I hate the record. I hate two and seven. Raise your hand, beep your horn if you hate two and seven. Okay, but it's a different two and seven. It's six one-loss games, five of them with the lead. Okay, these are not thirty-one-seven losses, forty-eight to seventeen. Okay, these aren't what Kansas City did before Josh McDaniels in the two games we played against them last year were about as ugly as you can get. 
they're in the games. There is fight. There is effort. There is preparation that seems to be really strong. And then the lack of execution leads to the losses in games where the Raiders have leads where they have executed. They have executed to get the lead. Right? I always say, I wish I did a halftime show when they were up 17 nothing. I wish they said, hey, man, Jason Lincoln, get out of the booth. JT's going to do a halftime show. Take your calls when they're up 17 nothing or 20 nothing. I can't do that. But they're doing things that show you that they can kind of win games. But you notice on this show, for the last two to three weeks, I said, no more of this. We're close. No more, hey, we're close. You're not close. You're two and seven. So the execution comes down to the coach and the quarterback. And that's what's the most disappointing about this. I really thought the coach and the quarterback were going to take the game up to a level where it could be better than what Gruden had it when it was really good. And some of the other coaches. That has been a stumble, and they're trying to fight through it. And it's a hard fight, isn't it? Minute even. Carr, snap, rolling right, lobs to the end zone. Morrow falling down, makes the grab! Touchdown Raiders! Foster Morrow diving, going vertical. And the Raiders with a much needed touchdown late in the second quarter, cutting the Colts lead to 10 6. That was a big touchdown by Foster Moreau. Needed that. Needed that big. Uh, Could have won the game on a catch late. Didn't happen, but it was good to see him play hard, run good routes, block well. Turn up John Fogarty. He played a medley of songs. Thought he was fantastic. Great to see that action at the torch. One of the bigger crowds we've ever seen up there in the 200 area up there by the torch. On a very serious note, a former University of Virginia football player is suspected of killing three football players and wounding two other students on campus late last night, Sunday night, and is in custody after a manhunt in Charlottesville, Virginia. During the news conference earlier today, University of Virginia President Jim Ryan said, The three Cavalier football players were shot and killed. They include junior receiver Lavelle Davis Jr. of Dorchester, South Carolina, junior receiver Devin Chandler of Huntsville, North Carolina, and junior defensive end linebacker Deshaun Perry of Miami. What a horrific story. The suspect in the shooting identified as Christopher Darnell Jones was apprehended without incident. He was listed as a freshman running back on the team's 2018 roster. And his roster buyer noted that he previously played at Petersburg High School in Virginia. Uh, they also said the two other students were shot and were hospitals, hospitalized once in good condition, the others in critical condition. A horrific story. And our hearts and prayers go out to everyone in Charlottesville, especially the families of those active football players who were lost. Just really hard story to comprehend last night. Puts everything in reality here. Kevin in Lancaster. Thanks for holding. You're up next. Kelvin, you're up next. Go ahead. Hey, JT. What's going on? Hey, Kelvin. Well, well, the main the main reason why you know, the Raiders, you know, we can't do anything, our, our defense. No mm-hmm. team speed. Uh, you cannot win in the National Football League, of course, if you don't have a good defense. And all, it starts with team speed. You know, we don't get any sacks. We can't cause any fumbles. You know, we, we can't put the offense on a short field and no pass rush, anything. And – you know, I think we got one of the slowest defenses that I think I've ever seen. No team speed at all. That's the first place where the Raiders, I think, need to 
concentrate on. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think there's going to be wholesale changes on defense uh, from coaches to the active roster, and they're really going to have to concentrate. They need a defensive leader, thanks for the call, other than Max Crosby. And it was supposed to be Chandler Jones. And as Chandler was very active yesterday and was in the backfield and doing a good job against the run, Chandler hasn't delivered for the amount of money that he received and what he was supposed to be. They need new linebackers. I think they need a star linebacker, however they can get that player. They didn't want to go after Roquan Smith. Uh, They don't have Micah Parsons. They have to find a linebacker in the draft or in free agency that can play for four or five years and be great. Perryman's been a good player when he's out there. He's been banged up again this year. But Perryman's a good player. And then the secondary, the secondary, I believe, everyone on the secondary, from the corners to the safeties, are on notice. There's enough bad film of all of them. Not making plays, not tackling, missing, whiffing, and not reading uh, the offense well. So I think that's been a disturbing trend as of late. A high-priority Whoever has the opportunity to coach this defense going forward, a high priority getting much better players.